hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. All right, welcome to your church friends podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurduh. So we're going to continue the conversation of the animal apocalypse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we are still in the same place recording. Yeah, yeah. From the last episode. Yeah. I just paused because I wasn't sure if that's what you were trying to trend, like to let people know. Um, because every time we sit down, we are continuing the conversation <laughs> of what we were previously talking that about. That's a good point. Unless we're hopping into a new book or a new topic. So yeah. it's just like, so far... For the past several episodes, we have been continuing the conversation <laughs> with an Enoch. With our Enoch journey. Uh, this very fun journey, but yeah, yeah. And we're also still recording after hours because... After hours. After hours. Because we thought it... <laughs> that doesn't mean what you thought it meant last time. No. no we're more. not going back to that. So we can't talk about the... No, stop. It's not coming into this. All right. I, <laughs> I mean, we might have to. No. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I no. think this is the... The last episode was the TVMA. This might be uh, PG-14. Yes. Or PG. I mean, it was TVMA for how much you were swearing on the last one with the wild donkey talk. <laughs> that was King James, sir. <laughs> that was King James. No one should question the King James. I was trying to say expletive, expletive uh, censorship, and you it came does, in yeah. with some other stuff. But we're not supposed to talk about that this anymore. This is the worst intro. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've had worse. Uh, I wouldn't be able to name it. After hours. After hours. <laughs> I shouldn't have whispered it. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe the Scott McKnight one, when I asked him if he, because uh, of Justine, if he was Brian McKnight, that was... That wasn't bad, because he came back around with yeah. like you being you know what Brian Archuleta. Yeah, he, he kind of, I felt like that was a, like a, a rib, like he was kind of shooting back, like... I think it's just subtle humor. Yeah. yeah like, You're cool. David Archuleta then, huh? How's that sound? That's not how it came <laughs> That's off. That's how it felt. <laughs> Oh, you're sensitive. <laughs> I, I am a little bit. We talked about my vanity. Is it only in church that I talk about my vanity issues or is it here? No, I think it's been here. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> what uh, on the audio side, and because it was uh, uh, recorded uh, remotely, mm-hmm. there's like, if you, we were to laugh, it kind of like a little bit. So you don't really capture that, and no one's seeing other than we were when we were there with them seeing that he kind of snickered and chuckled mm-hmm. at it. But on the audio side, you don't really pick that up too much. You just kind of like hear him like, no, then him say it's common. And I was like, oh, it sounded worse audio than it was actually in the conversation. You just had to let people know. <laughs> <laughs> like this dummy had like a famous author on his show and he's over here asking all these dumb questions. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just had to. Chapter 87. 87. Visions of the four heavenly beings. That's all I had. <laughs> all you did was read the title to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. jumping into it. Um, again, like we said last time, if you're looking at, well, just a reference, if you haven't been joining us since last time, we are in book four, which mm-hmm. covers a couple of visions that Enoch has, that Enoch is uh, telling his son Methuselah. The first vision that he had was talking about the flood is coming and how he reacted to that. The second vision coming in um, is dealing with what we call the animal apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So it's all kinds of stuff happening with these animals. 
But what these animals are doing has been a telling of human history from the flood onward. And as we're going to continue through this, um, going through the Old Testament, and then as you mentioned last time, getting into this kind of like open future type of um, a time as we get into 89. So, And to note, because I didn't do it in the last sorry, episode. as we get into 90. Uh, this section was likely written around 165 to 161 BC. Hmm. So just to give not just what we're talking about here, the whole book. book yeah, four, yeah, right? yeah. Book four. So it's it's a good time reference as we're like kind of going through some of this stuff, and you're like, well, what are they talking about? What's being written? Uh, knowing that it's around that time. Uh, so this would be roughly around almost 200 years before Jesus's birth. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, it's good to have. And for Again, if you're the type of person that knows history, that might mean something to you. Mm-hmm. And if you want it to mean something to you, then go look at history. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I came prepared yeah. for, but I know that like I've got a couple books in my library talking about First Enoch and kind of them being uh, it being a several of the themes in it being like resistance against power. Mm. like you know mm-hmm. and just kind of the themes that are in it kind of look like what the people were going through at that time and some of the themes being more like tied into that so yeah go look at what they were wow, doing what is that what we brought i said it the on one of the previous episodes uh during one of the wars maccabean mm-hmm. but there's a starts with the d delusion but wasn't it like a lot of it written during that time frame of like these these wars that were going on like all these people trying to mm-hmm. take over Israel or, or Jerusalem and being like, hey, we're in charge of it and all these. Yeah, I forget what that word is. Maybe it'll come back to me. For some reason, I'm thinking Seleucid, but I don't think it's that. No, it starts with a D. Diotonetian? That's close to something? That is. I don't know if it's right. <laughs> yeah, you're just close to a real word. Yeah, really close saying. to it. Anyway, to bring I'll it back there. into what's, what's going on here. Um, so yes, there's history. That's when that's getting written. Um, looking at the chapters that we've covered so far, these chapters are really short. So as we're talking about them, um, chapter 83, 84, 85, uh, those are all pretty short. 86, 87, 88 are also pretty short. So as we're talking about Mm -hmm. these things, it's like, we're going to talk about it. Go read it because then you can actually get the words in there as well to, to see what we're talking about. So coming into 87... It's a vision of four heavenly beings, as you said. We're coming full circle. Now we're back to that title. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I saw them commencing to gore and devour one another. So going back to that gore and devouring, was talking about the Nephilim and the sons of men, right? They, they got in that uh, bad situation there. And I lifted my eyes on the heaven, and I saw a vision. And behold, there came forth from heaven a being in the form of a snow-white person. One came out of that place... Oh, this is what I was talking about earlier. This translation says one came out of that place and three others with him versus other translations say four came out of that place and three with him. Mm. So that's the difference between four total and seven total. And those ones which had come out last seized me by my hand and took me from the generations of the earth, lifted me into a high place and showed me a high tower above the earth. And all the hills were firm. And one of them said to me, stay here until you see everything that will happen to these elephants, camels, and donkeys, as well as to the stars and the bovids, all of them. So that was chapter 87. I said it was short. I just read it. It was a good chapter. Uh, yeah, the, so the angels, archangels intercede, uh, and they aren't depicted as animals in chapter 87, right? So they're like, uh, 
everything else in the allegory, there's a bunch of animals, uh, but they're depicted in more of the apocalyptic language that we see in Daniel 7, 1, 3, that as stars, as stars and men. Um, Enoch becomes an actor in his own dream. Uh, so he's, uh, he sees himself being lifted up into paradise at the high place as he watches uh, the judgment of the watchers and Nephilim and the donkeys and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's 87 in a nutshell. Yeah, there's really not much to it. Like mm-hmm. you said, archangels come down and say, hey, judgment's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Come up here and check it out. And then that's where we get into 88 is basically the retelling of First Enoch 6 uh, through 11 is the judgment. So mm-hmm. in 88, we see the same thing, uh, but again, use more of the like imagery that that's already being used here. Yeah, so I saw him come down, bind up that first star, throw him into the abyss, and then draw out a sword and go to the elephants and the camels and the donkeys. They started attacking each other. Then the other ones come and take away those mighty stars who, um, how is it that you phrased it? Those mighty stars who, after hours, oh. and bound them and put them in the pits of the earth. Yeah, we're not supposed to say that in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. So that yeah, was... Yeah. Th- that was basically it. It's just judgment basically down, yeah, yeah. judgment again. Uh, chapter 89 is then the big chapter. This is the, the long chapter that really is like... It takes us from the flood to the exodus, uh, to the promised land, to the building of the temple, the two kingdoms, the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the destruction, and then the return. Uh, of, and then uh, I think a little bit into the Hellenistic period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a huge portion of it. Yeah, so just to look at like as far as biblical source material for this, you're going through Genesis, and then you're mm-hmm. getting into Exodus. Then you're getting into Numbers, Deuteronomy, you're getting into Joshua, you're getting into Judges, you're getting into 1 Samuel, you're getting into 1 Kings, you're getting into 2 Kings, you're getting into Ezra and Nehemiah, right? So Mm -hmm. you're going through the Old Testament and kind of to frame up, again, just some of the highlights of, okay, well, what was going on in those books? Um, You're getting, in Genesis, the creation of the fall, you're getting the Watcher's Descent, you're getting the Flood, you're then getting all of the nations that are listed before Abraham, you're getting Abraham, you're getting Ishmael and Isaac, you're getting Esau, Jacob, and Joseph, then you're getting the Exodus, and then that going out to Sinai, you're getting the wilderness that's happening, then you get the conquest, you get the time of the judges, you get Samuel and David, you get Saul and David, you get Solomon, the divided kingdom, then you get that great guy of Manasseh, mm-hmm. right? And kind of going from there, from Manasseh into um, the destruction that's happening there within the kingdom, um, 70 shepherds, and then four periods following that. And then after that, you get kind of that open future type look. So you, we've got all of that listed out. But even going through 89, how you're saying that's a big chapter, a big chunk of it has to do more with that Manasseh period mm-hmm. onward. Did you see that? Yeah. Kind of when you look at the ratio of what's being spent written there, um, which as I was doing some studying, they're like that tends to happen with apocalyptic literature is that they write a lot more in detail about things that have happened more recently, mm. which kind of makes sense because if you're looking at, hey, prehistory with the flood and everything that happened mm-hmm. since, you're like, okay, yeah, we can tell a big story there about the Watchers. And then you go, well, what are we really dealing with right now? It's like, well, ever since Manasseh, that bad king that came in, yeah. there's been a whole lot going on that we really need to give some commentary on. W- which is interesting because I want to say uh, from remembering the Forgotten Books that Josiah was next after... Manasseh. Yeah, and for everything that he tried to do to restore it stuff, the still got... gets forgotten as like it just goes back to. Well, it was a blip, yeah. and yeah, and I think that even afterwards it says, like, 
God's wrath still like kindled against mm-hmm. like Manasseh or something like that. Something yeah. to that effect, if that wasn't the words, but yeah. Yeah, which it just goes to show like that king was bad, mm-hmm. like the, the bad of him. And I think it does the same thing with uh, on the, the flip side of the northern kingdom with Jeroboam, mm-hmm. where it's like mm, he was bad. And uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, it's hard to like visualize going through kings and chronicles, uh, but like trying to remember some of them being like he did evil in God's eyes, but still not as bad as so-and-so like yeah. he, like <laughs> jeroboam was still like the worst of the worst and it's like dang they did a lot of bad stuff but yeah we got uh one through nine is the flood in chapter 89 and so we got the white bull is noah mm-hmm. so again this imagery there's the white bull and he has three like you're saying the three other white bulls are his sons and he became a man which is interesting and, and i read a commentary that said uh the uh does this author find it impossible to imagine a bull or sheep with a hammer in his paw <laughs> or is it suggested that Noah and Moses attained an angel-like status? Because uh, when we get to it, we'll also see Moses as he became a man. Yeah, there's so much when you highlight them um, that are kind of the at the creation points mm-hmm. of, of something to where you look at Noah really coming through the flood and then he's like the new progenitor of humanity, right? So when you look at that becoming a man, that's kind of a thing. Then when you look at Moses and he, you know, brings the people out and then they enter into that covenant on Sinai. And it's just like what's happening there as far as a creation of God's mm-hmm. people and what's mm-hmm. happening. And there's so much of a tie in when you get into both of those figures and then even Jesus as well. And there's like so much cool study in that. Just so much cool study linking even specific days in each of their lives and how that matches up with days in Jesus's life to both Moses and Noah. Hmm. So, again, as you start pulling on that deeper, it's like I can see how both of them being highlighted as being men mm-hmm. might not have to do with like cows can't hold hammers. Yeah. And being more <laughs> of like a, yeah, whether it's reaching this angelic state or just really being a definitive as far as like, no, here's, you know, it's just definitive. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we, we noticed that there, in this kind of little flood narrative from verse 1 to 9 is that the animals are missing, and so are <laughs> the wives and Noah and his, son, and his son's wives. Yeah. Like, the animals are missing because all of the humans are animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're just going to flip it and buy, send all these cows, got all these humans to come on board the ship, right? <laughs> One of each or a pair of each. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I noticed that too, and just like, uh, I mean, kind of makes sense. Yeah, because the importance there, it's not like. And again, there's a lot of glossing over. I think yeah. if like you're trying to tell a a whole story, uh, you're gonna pull the things that are gonna kind of. What um, are you trying to tell? Right. What yeah. part of the story are you trying to tell? And then we got ten to twenty seven. That's the flood to the Exodus. Uh, so here we see that the new creation quickly goes bad, fast, like the first one. You know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of bad. Yeah, I guess that's the best way to say it. It goes south quick. Uh, the bulls begin to have new species of animals, like uh, the stars who became bulls had new species. Uh, and the list of the animals here, and you talked about this in the last episode, they represent the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I, I also saw that it corresponds to the genealogies of Genesis in 10 through 11. And I thought that was really interesting, that it kind of... Yeah, that's when I was up. listening through those things. I think I said the table of nations. Mm-hmm. So that's what all those nations that are listed before you get to Abraham. So that's all of these that are happening. Um, 
there in verse 10, all those different animals kind of relating to those different nations. Um, I know that you said from the flood to the Exodus, a little bit of a breakdown there. If you're looking at pretty much until verse 14, that's going to be the end of Genesis. And then you go verses 15 through 27 is taking you through Exodus, right? Yeah, yeah. So just for people trying to follow along, if you're if you're using our notes for for anything, reading along, it's kind of okay, cool. Let me find my place my place within this. And, and this I found interesting too that the the animals mm-hmm. uh, are also unclean by Levitical standards yeah. and become the predators and scavengers, uh, and that the Gentile animals begin to bite one another just like the giants did. So these animals begin to like attack each other. And then they would soon turn on the Israelites, just like the giants turned on humanity. So they're, uh, you're seeing a story parallel, mm-hmm. right? Like it's kind of following the same thing. And for me, what I liked about this part was the fact that reading Genesis, I don't catch that kind of same. Because it's expounded out mm-hmm. into so much bigger of a story that you had to bring it down. And it's interesting that you said that because I was literally the next things I was going to say was, I don't get why he had to say all of this in some mystical, magical way with animals when they already had the Old Testament. Right. I was literally going to say that. <laughs> and then you went, well, when I read the Old Testament, I really didn't pull together what it, you're mm-hmm. getting from this. So I was just like, all right, fine. I withhold. <laughs> <laughs> I redact it before yeah. it's even said. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get a, the birth of a new white bull. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this represents Abraham. And, and again, it's born among them, meaning that he was taken out of them like Abraham was. So... Uh, so then uh, he gives birth to a wild donkey and uh, and then another white bull, and uh, the wild donkey is Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And then we have the birth of Esau and Jacob, Esau being a black wild boar, and Jacob, now we get the sheep. Nicholsburg uh, said that the white bull, Isaac, should beget a white ram, Jacob, is noteworthy both because it is an anomalous birth and because it marks a break in the Sethiite line, which or here, since before this has been civilized, uh, symbolized as a white bull, the change in the species symbolizes that, that the lives of the Israelites will be shorter than those of the patriarchs. Moreover, it is essential to the story, to the story recounted in the vision. To begin with, sheep are a common biblical metaphor for Israel. Most important, this author will employ the image consistently with two biblical uh, nuances that are fundamental to its interpretation of Israelite history. First, the sheep are often blind and go astray. That is, the nation is guilty of apostasy. Second, the sheep of Israel are frequently, if not constantly, the helpless victims of the wild beasts that symbolize the Gentiles. Thus, with the birth of the 12 sheep at the end of verse 12, the author is ready to proceed to the heart of the story, the history of Israel. So uh, I really like more the bottom portion of that. I thought that was really uh, where this goes from here on out is that you see that it's a story about Israel's history, mm-hmm. and that's what the, really the Old Testament is. It's the story of this nation that was God's people, um, that a lot of times that they're the helpless victims of the wild boars, but it, a lot of times they're the helpless victims because they, they put themselves there. Uh, other than the Exodus, a lot of times when they're like being oppressed, it's because they've gone astray. You know, So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so then we get the story of Joseph, and uh, as a sheep that was given up to one of the donkeys. And these donkeys aren't to be confused with the donkeys earlier who are <laughs> Nephilim. Right. So there's a lot of donkeys. There's, there's only so many animals that we have to, <laughs> to use here. Yeah. Uh, so the wolves are the Egyptians. And the sheep that grew up among the wolves is Joseph living mm. in Egypt. And then so a lot of this verse 14 parallels Exodus 1-7. I thought that was 
really interesting. Um, that kind of ends right there with that, like you said, the Genesis, and now we're getting into verse 14 onward is kind of the Exodus story. So now we're in the second one. Verse 15, uh, the wolves fear the sheep, uh, just like the king of Egypt fears the Israelites. So you're going to see like, oh, I understand this. I know this. A lot of this is going to be popping uh, as we go through chapter 89. And then uh, here also we see God depicted now finally for the first time as the Lord of sheep. Lord of sheep. Uh, not something that's uncommon even with our understanding of Scripture, because uh, Hebrews 13, 20, 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, so we kind of see that it's kind of even riffing on the same things of the great shepherd and everything like that. So uh, verse 21 through 26 is the Exodus story, and it retells it even to the point of God splitting the sea and the Egyptians drowning in the water. So there's... Uh, Verse 22, I don't know what your translation says, but it says, But the Lord of the sheep went with them as their leader, yes. while all his sheep were following him. His face was glorious, adorable, and marvelous to behold. Does mm-hmm. yours say adorable? Uh, his face was dazzling, glorious, and terrible to behold. There you go. Yeah, I just thought, I've never thought of God's face being adorable. adorable. Yeah. Um, but even with there, you said terrifying or yeah. what was it? Uh, terrible to behold. So between terrible and marvelous, we see that a lot within, um, translation of things mm-hmm. to where just like, man, something can be so overwhelming that it's like, it's both marvelous and terrifying or terrible. Yes, you know yes, what I mean? Yes, yes. And even that, that idea of terrible, we can put in our, our like modern, modern understanding. Oh, it's terrible. It's bad. It's just like, no, just like, it's got that much like power behind it or whatever mm-hmm. like oh yeah it's a terrible force uh yeah. indiana jones you ever see it the ark of the covenant mm-hmm. when they open it up at the end it's like don't look keep your eyes closed mm-hmm. and then everyone else's melts like it's a terrible but an amazement thing yeah like that's kind of what i always picture when i hear that combination of words together it's like it's scary but it's also like yeah it's a it's a glorious thing kind of that thing of like fear of the lord Mm. and just like yeah there is a fear aspect because he can he can destroy your body and soul yeah. and just everything right so it's just like yes he is god of everything but it's also that thing that's supposed to bring you into like an awe of him mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah and i'm really glad you actually stopped me because i had that all of that like underlined in my book why did you have it underlined because the lord of sheep went with them as their leader mm-hmm that's where you get the angel of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. In, in uh, Exodus? Yeah. And, and even in that... Wait, do you get the angel? No, I'm thinking something else. This is the, where the... Um, you get the angel of the Lord with the... I believe it's the Passover, right? Going through. Yeah. But when it comes to the, the Exodus narrative, when they get to the, the crossing of the Red Sea, you have the, the fire, the yeah, pillar the of pillar fire. the pillar of fire and the cloud, yeah. Uh, went before them, and that actually, like, it... Uh, it interceded between the Egyptians from them coming. And then I think at some point it then led the way mm-hmm. for them to go through the, the body of the water. But even within it, it's just like the way they're picturing it here is like this actual presence of God moving through with them. Yeah, I think I was jumping ahead to more of the, like, the conquest and things going on mm-hmm. there to where like the commander shows up. It's like, oh, who's yeah. that? Um but yeah, here where when we're reading through X is like, oh yeah, the the Shekinah oh, yeah, yeah, glory, the, the Joshua, yeah, where he's like, are you for us or against us? And he's like, I'm neither. So that's where my brain is like, oh, angel, yeah. So my slip there, 
But yeah, when we're reading the scriptures, like, oh, the Shekinah glory, and we mm-hmm. talk about that pillar of fire and the different stuff, and if we don't really go, oh no, like that is God in the way that this says it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like, oh no, God's with them in the way, but it's like, no, 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 He's like, He is with. I, I don't know, it's weird because you're saying the same thing, mm-hmm. but it means like you get a different perspective from this. So this is like gonna be. The... I just stumbled through all of those <laughs> words. This late show has gotten late. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is gonna be like a weird tangent from Enoch, but uh, I'm like going through the Genesis and Exodus in my own reading, um, and something I never caught or captured was the way it actually says, and the Lord appeared. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we read that and we're thinking like, oh, the Lord appeared, um, whether it was the dreams and visions, and we kind of like just simplify it to maybe that. But there's also like the Lord actually appeared. See, I've always taken it that way. Mm -hmm. I'm just always like, no, he's there. I've never have until recently. It's it's been more of an eye-opening thing like, and the Lord appeared, or the Lord walked through, like he actually went through, like he actually showed up. Um, yeah, for me, a lot of times it was more like symbolic or, or looked mm. at as like uh, visionary type things, you know, that that's when the Lord showed up. But like throughout scripture, you are seeing, especially the Old Testament, the Lord appeared to um, even uh, the Samuel. Mm. The word? Yeah. Uh, but when it was like he was calling him mm-hmm. and he was like, Samuel. And, it, and then Eli's like, it's not me. And then it like, yeah, it showed up to him and spoke to him like that. There's an actual like something showed up. It wasn't an audible voice. And you're like, yeah. So it's like that the word came to him. It's yeah. like the word being the title of mm-hmm. God. So it's like, yes, the word is represented like it's a representative name that like God showed up and spoke to him. Yeah. I think that for me, one of the things that I've been kind of tugging on more as so many people on the show have heard my struggles of trying to understand the Trinity and what that looks like. Is it, okay, so you have God showing up and walking with or doing these different things, whether it's with Abraham or, or onward. Um, and I've just always thought, yeah, that's God. He's showing up and he's doing it. But then you get to the thing of, well, God is spirit and nobody's really ever seen him or known him, or like, you know, on that level. So I'm like, all right, then if the father is the spirit that's like above all and like all that, then the physical God who showed up on the earth, that's pre-incarnate. Christ? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, has he always been the physical representation since the beginning? Mm -hmm. And it's not just like, no, 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 he got that body when he was born from Mary. And that's what trips me out because it's like, well, God is also completely outside of time. And then that just breaks my brain because it's just like, (laughs) okay, so if he's never changed, then he's always had a human body before humans. And I just, I spaz out. Yeah. So it's just like, again, this is why I struggle with the Trinity because maybe I ask too many questions. Like, it's just a simple thing. Mm -hmm. But yes. Especially when you go into that concept of the word, because Mm -hmm. John opens up with in the beginning was the word. And so now we're like tracking down that deep rabbit hole you just took us on of like, well, what was it? And then you go back to Genesis and it was like in God's word spoke and then it did. Mm -hmm. And you're like, and we tend to think, wait, the word just means literal words. And it's like, no, no, no. What is is the the word actually talking about is the word. And like, that's the title for a being who is God. And if that's what John was tracking on all those centuries later, then like, uh, I think we miss a very important, important part of what scripture is actually telling us that this man, Jesus, was always there mm-hmm. working and doing tons of stuff throughout the Old, Old Testament. And yeah, the, that, like you said, that embodiment of who God was here on earth. I would just like to clarify that there are probably scriptures that 
I myself would use to refute myself about some of the things that I just said. So if you heard me and you're like, hey, have you ever thought about this? Feel free to like put it mm -hmm. in our group or whatever. And I would probably just go like, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. And those are thoughts that I've had when reading those. Just, my brain can't fit everything all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so picking back up into the animal apocalypse. Uh, we got entering the promised land, 28 through 40. Um, now he's alluding to Moses becoming uh, like a man. And so maybe this is his angelic likeness. Um, uh, I saw somewhere too that it could be that like because his face was glorified or you know mm -hmm. shown that maybe it's that. But the house being built uh, was the tabernacle. I, I thought this was interesting too. It's from, again, Father Stephen DeYoung. He says, beginning with the sin involving the golden calf and continuing through the rest of the narrative many of the sheep are blind the the language is important these are not blind sheep as if they were born blind but sheep which due to their wickedness and rebellion have been blinded their blindness is not a fault of the creation but a punishment brought about by the hardness of the heart yeah and i'm not sure if we talked about this earlier when we we're talking about them becoming sheep but one of the things about sheep, both in the scriptures and what you're bringing up here in Enoch, is that sheep tend to go astray. Mm -hmm. And that that's where, you know, this blindness coming in is really just putting like, these sheep keep going astray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then next Moses dies uh, and the people mourn for him. And so now we're kind of past Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and we're now into uh, Joshua. Mm -hmm. And so then there's two leaders as a sheep, one is Joshua, and then I, I saw this was interesting. One said it might be Caleb, but it's more likely Eleazar, the priest. Mm. Um, and now setting up that kind of, um, I don't want to say ruler, but I guess judge and priest situation where Moses played both of those roles. Now we're seeing them kind of split into two people. From here on out, it's the, the priest goes in, communicates. Yeah, the further of that, and how you said judges, and then like as that gets further, then you even have the, the king and the priest, mm -hmm. and you have all of that, and then it comes back around to Jesus, and then he becomes both yet again. Yeah, yeah. so it runs circle. Uh, oh, 41 to 50 is judges to the temple, uh, but 41 is basically a summary of the book of Judges. Um, and I'm going to yeah. read... In, in one the, line, and it's something that we have said so many times on this podcast, but give it to us in animal form. And sometimes their eyes were opened, and sometimes blind, until another sheep arose and led them and brought them all back, and their eyes were opened. So sometimes their eyes were open, sometimes their eyes were blind. Uh, really just a good summary of the book of Judges, where it's like, and then they did right in their own eyes. And after a judge would come and kind of free them up of everything, and it was like, and then they did right in their own eyes again. Yeah, that verse has a footnote on it for me that just says, text is difficult. <laughs> and it has like that uh, alternate translation that you just gave. But my 41 says, and then their eyes become dim-sided until another sheep arose and led them. They would all return and their eyes became opened. Hmm. Which is basically saying the same thing. Like, yeah, their eyes become dim. They become blind. They go astray. Someone rises up and then mm -hmm. their eyes get open. Repeat. I remember this from uh, the Psalm 23 book. Uh, what's his name? Keller. Keller. Philip Keller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wrote about this beautiful sheep that he had, this beautiful uh, one that would like give birth to like even more beautiful sheep. Uh, but the sheep had a problem with, uh, he, he had it fenced and then it would always dig holes and mm -hmm. go off to the other areas that it, but it was like, I provided this lush green grass area for this sheep to eat. 
and this sheep would always escape. And he said the problem wasn't that it was doing that, but it taught its babies to do that. Uh, I think I remember you telling me about yeah. that. Yeah, and then eventually he had to like that sheep to prevent the other ones from doing it. But it, it just reminded me of that, that like this consistency in sheep of wanting to go astray. It just reminds me of that video where the sheep jumps oh, in that yes, ditch. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The and great. then he helps him out of the ditch yeah. and just runs and immediately jumps, jumps in the right ditch. right back into it. Yes, that's like the perfect example of sheep. That is amazing. I that's the perfect example of you. No, well, it's all of <laughs> I us. I meant you talking to me yeah. as the you. I'm not picking on you. No, well, I was like going to say all of us. Yeah, yeah, that is the perfect video of like, the Israelites, yeah. or all of us, is just like, yeah. We should just put the title on that, The Lord of Sheep. Yeah, <laughs> we should. Uh, salvation, up, oh, up here. I'm back into this ditch of things because I go astray. And, and yeah, it's a good example of it. Um, Samuel is the reference as the one that leads them back. So that's the sheep that does that. So here's where we're at in timeline of the Bible. Um, then there's Saul, David, and Solomon. All three of them are now rams. Yeah, it's weird that it says... Um so a sheep went off and is fighting them all, and then like that sheep got promoted to become a ram mm-hmm. and lead the sheep in place of that sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're just like, oh, so sheep can be promoted to rams now. Yeah. But yeah, just really showing as you get these kings coming into yeah. place and having that happen, yeah. Um, but we see Israel under attack by all bunch of wild animals in this portion of it, uh, and Saul and David are defeating the enemies. Uh, and then it mentions that the tower being built, and this is the temple by Solomon. And I read this nowhere in any commentary or notes, uh, but just the way it mentions towers instead of temples, mm-hmm. um, for some reason my mind went to the Tower of Babel, which we kind of know as like the ziggurat, mm-hmm. the places where like people thought gods and humans connected. And I wonder if he was pulling from that same reference of like the temple being a place where God and humans connected, because this is the temple where God was supposed to come into. Because the same language is used for uh, words so a house, right? But for the tabernacle, um, but maybe pulling on too many wild threads here. Well, to just put even more confusion into that, um, that first time when a tower is mentioned, one of the manuscripts calls it a lofty building, and then another manuscript just doesn't call it a tower or a building. It doesn't say that at all. And then as it goes on to talk about a tall and great tower upon that, it also says that that could be saying uh, built upon that house. Mm. So depending on what manuscript you're reading, you either get towers, you get nothing on a part, or you get talking about building on a house. So I don't know how to read into what you just said <laughs> because depending on what translation you might, yeah. no, it's talking about a house. Yeah, now my translation, yeah. my whole thought is out the window. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Translations are the best. Or I guess that wouldn't be a translation. That would be... A manuscript. A manuscript, right, right. Yeah. We're just saying, hey, this one's in this one, this one's in mm-hmm. this one. Which does make, uh, and I know for Enoch, it makes it hard because there's a lot of manuscripts that have different verbiage and writings, which is why people pull from one from the other. Yeah. There's stuff like that within the scriptures as well. Yeah. I don't mean to frighten anybody, but there is stuff like that yeah. that happens within the scriptures. There are choices that get made. That's why if you look at your footnotes, they help. Yeah, yeah, they help. Uh, dogs are the Philistines, boars are the Amicalites, and foxes are the Ammonites. Mm-hmm. So just you're reading all these animals and you're like, what is this? And then once you start putting names next to them, then the story, like we've been saying, just becomes more clear. Yeah, you can listen to Chris and start building out your chart and have the thing. There's also just like, if you read through it, it can give you probably the brief history that you're just like, yeah, that's generally what mm-hmm. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Just like there's a ram and the sheep and then these other people come. It's going to be those other nations mm-hmm. and that other stuff going on. Um, and then verse 52 describes Elijah. 
says, They wanted to kill him, but the Lord of the sheep rescued him from the sheep and caused him to ascend to me and settle down. So there we see again in, in uh, where Enoch's lifted up and now Elijah being uh, the same. So in 54, uh, that section, I think it, uh, if I remember correctly, we talked about it. It's Manasseh, right? Like this is where everything went bad. Like this is where like now their eyes are like, they're just completely gone. It's no longer that they've like blinded, but it's like mm. it is gone. This is where it leads into that history of things. Yeah, so leading in that history is that we're talking about um, he left them in the hands of lions, leopards, wolves, hyenas, and as well as in the hands of the foxes. Mm-hmm. So is that bringing in the uh, Babylonians and Assyrians and all that jazz? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so you have the wolves. Uh, uh, this is the campaign of Pharaoh Nico. Right. So that's the Egyptians, then the foxes are the Ammonites, that's mentioned in Second Kings, and then, yeah, the Babylonians, lions, and the Assyrians, tigers. So lots of imagery. Um, Where's the bears? Oh, my. Yeah, that's what I was going for. <laughs> I got it. You picked up what I was yeah. putting down. Uh, the sheep are sent into exile, given over to the shepherds of the nations. So this is where they're giving over to the nations. I pulled this up, this verse in Deuteronomy 32.8. Because uh, when you're talking about manuscripts, this is one that I just caught recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it talks about like the the sheep were given over to the 70, was it 70 shepherds? Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, there's this thing that happened in my brain when I read this recently. And I was like, wait, what now? So it says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to... That's Deuteronomy 32, yeah? Yeah, according to the number of the sons of of God. Mm-hmm. So, unless you read the other manuscripts or the sons of Jacob. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just really interesting to me that it's like, oh, wait, like there's this uh, uh, one manuscript that's saying, like, oh, it's the sons of God. And there's these other ones that say, we're, we're just going to translate it to the sons of Jacob. Uh, but the sons of God would make sense with the nations and everything being, being given over to them. Yes. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, why that was so familiar to me is that's. Uh, Michael Heiser's whole thing. It was like the Deuteronomy 32 mm. worldview. It's a really easy place to start with introducing people to the divine council worldview, which then if you can kind of go, oh, cool. Well, my translation said sons of Jacob. And then you get into that and then you can look at, look, if it says sons of God, how that actually makes so much more sense of so many other scriptures mm-hmm. because of that. So that really is a turning point in understanding. And yeah, it's you got to deal with some stuff with some manuscripts. And I know some people are like, no, that other manuscript is of the devil. That is, <laughs> no, like straight up, they're just like, yeah. that's wrong. And that's somebody trying to lead you astray. And it's like, yeah, well, how do you make sense of the other stuff? But all of its conversations. Mm-hmm. And here we are over here in Enoch. So <laughs> <laughs> Getting into that. Yeah, with yeah. these 70 shepherds. I read this, it was in Nickelberg's, uh, and I thought this was pretty interesting. He says, the idea of 70 angelic shepherds uh, rule over Israel for successive periods of time parallels the interpretation of Jeremiah 25, 11, 12, and 29, 10, and in Daniel 9, 2, and 24. According to Jeremiah's prophecy, the land would remain desolate until 70 years were fulfilled. In Daniel 2, the seer quotes this prophecy as he queries God on the length of Jerusalem's desolation. In 9, 24, Gabriel responds by interpreting the 70 years of exile as 70 weeks of years that are necessary to finish the transgressions, to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity. Uh, Thus, in Daniel 9, the time issued is related not to the beginning of the exile, 
and to its length, but to the time required to eliminate the consequences of sin that caused the exile. If the author of the animal vision does identify as uh, Manasseh's sin as the cause of the exile, and if the 70 angelic periods do begin at Manasseh's reign, then it would appear that Daniel 7 and the animal vision reflects variations of a common tradition about the exilic and post-exilic periods. Hmm. So that was a pretty interesting mouthful, uh, basically saying there's like prophecy of like they would be in there for 70 years, and then there's like they're there because of their transgressions, and we have to give like time for that. And if it begins at that time, then, you know, it kind of fits in this. See, when you brought it into, and this is where I thought you were going with the Deuteronomy 32 worldview Mm -hmm. about handing over to the nations, and I forget where I've drawn in this information, but when you're looking at that council, it's common to look at that there's 70 within God's divine council. So when you're looking at that as being shepherds, it's just like, well, it's kind of a weird placement that this is when they would get brought in compared to, you know, when you would generally think that it was happening. But looking at that, and then where you would see even further, like a earthly imaging of that divine council is when you get, like say the Sanhedrin that we're familiar with, Mm. there's 71 members within that. And I think that when you look at like the nations, and maybe that's where that 70 is coming from for that divine council is like 70 is talked about for the nations. So obviously there's more than 70 nations, you know, and there's things like that, but just that concept of where that uses the 70, that's where my brain went with this, which is where I was just kind of like, I'm happy enough with that answer. So you pulling up all that was really interesting as far as like, you know, that period and the 70 years and really relating it to that because I was happy enough just going like, oh, there's 70 shepherds. That kind of makes sense within kind of a ruling number that I've been, I'm more familiar with. Yeah, that's that's why I added it in there because I was in the same boat. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm happy with this conclusion. And then I read that and I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. And it's a little deeper than what I could even comprehend yeah. in a whole. But it was like, oh, but this really makes a little bit of sense here of, of what they're what they're getting at. Yeah. yeah. Little by little, that's just always my thing of like, oh, here's been my understanding. And some something gets presented. I'm like, well, I gotta do something with that now, don't <laughs> yeah. I? <laughs> yeah, here's a little bit, gotta do it. Yeah. Um from there, we get the rebuilding of uh, the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's verse 72 to 73. For now, we're in chapter 90. Uh, the animal apocalypse ends on a note of eschatological promises, despite the wickedness of the deaf and blind sheep and the swarming beast of the nations feeding upon the few innocent lambs. Finally, the man charged with reading or with recording the deeds of the shepherds, reveals their deeds at the last days to the Lord of the sheep. And in response, he rends heaven and earth. And that's 17 and 18 there. Um, And all of the books are open, and judgment ensues, uh, facilitated by the seven archangels. First, the devil is judged, and then the other stars who fell are judged. And I think then the 70 uh, shepherds of the nations are judged as well. And all of those are thrown into the abyss. So that's really what you're seeing in chapter 90 mm-hmm. is like the judgment of kind of what we've already covered a lot in Enoch. For being a book that is composed by five people, or theoretically five people since it's five or so books, you're getting the same common theme written throughout most of it. The, the, the big thing is like there is a judgment. God has to come down. He has to judge the earth. And there's this constant judgment for first the watchers who kind of kick-started all of this, 
um, and then for the people who followed them, and and then the kings and the rulers, the oppressors, right? I think we covered that in the parables, mm-hmm. like it's the oppressors, um, but they're then all thrown into the abyss of fire. So it's just kind of this same theme, and where it looks bleak, and I think we even covered. I don't know if we covered this with Scott McKnight, but where Revelation reads as a bleak thing, it's actually like this book of hope and promise mm-hmm. of this judgment that seems like it's bad. It's only there because it needs to remove the impurity. Yeah, and that's where, how are you saying that the authors of Enoch are kind of stay on the same thing? It is the biblical thing as well, that even you're saying, yeah, these sheep who are just blind and deaf and keep doing the thing. But then you get to, again, this judgment moving in. I feel like I'm always the one talking about this, <laughs> talking about it from this perspective, but it's, yeah, things can seem bleak, and bad when mm-hmm. you look at a judgment coming in because you're like, oh no, look at all the bad stuff that's happening there. But when you look at it as being a judgment against wickedness, and it's not just like, oh, look at what's coming across all people. It's like, no, this like wickedness is being judged mm. for the purpose of what? To vindicate and set things right. Mm-hmm. And the thing that should be the hope and the expectation and the desire is especially us as Christians of looking like, we need to go out and preach the gospel and bring people into the kingdom of light because we know that the promise and the hope is that these things aren't in store for God's people, mm-hmm. right? When if we go out and we see that like, ah, there's blind people who are deaf, who are ignoring the thing and destruction is going to come upon them. Well, scripture says, go and warn them about it and win back a brother and bring them into the thing. It's like, then we don't have to worry about like, oh no, the judgment will look so scary. It's like, we can get ahead of the judgment in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to, that might come across different than how I mean it. It's almost like the, this is why I always use this example too, but with Jonah. She's like, ah, judgment's going to come on Nineveh. And he goes there and it's just like, but not yet. Yeah. You know, there's a time of repentance. And just like, ah, that judgment, it's good. he's going to come a couple days. He's going to just rip it all down. But then he didn't. It's like, that's how I see this kind of thing. It's like, ah, judgment can be so scary. It's just like, but there's also God's mercy. Mm-hmm. And if we take these things in, it's just like judgment doesn't have to be that big scary thing if we recognize the fullness of who God is. And like, he doesn't take joy in the death of the wicked. So what do we do about that? And like, well, you take up like Abraham did with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, hey, look, if there's like 50 people over there. Like, how about 10? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. What can we do to, to work this thing out here? So I know that I'm kind of going off on a bit of a track there, but for looking at how dim and bleak and everything can be moving towards these things. It's like, God has to say it because like he's saying, I'm a good judge and here's the things that will happen. But we need to take that in the fullness of who he is. Um, that's really helped me really understand the, the judgment concept because uh, it's making things right. It's putting things mm-hmm. in order like they were at the beginning. Uh, things were in order. There was a structure. God had set it up. It was, it was, we saw it, right? The the first bulls were pure and white, and then it went bad, and they became different colors, and then different animals, and it became horrible. Uh, and then the sheep were white, and then they became different animals and different mm-hmm. things. And it's just like this corruption seeps in so quickly, and every moment of correction is to make things right, is to justify, uh, not necessarily as a punishment to people, but like you said, to remove the evil and the wickedness that is constantly causing the unjustifiedness, the unalignment of, of what God created. 
And, and in seeing that, then we get into this and we see these kind of apocalyptic literatures and these futuristic kind of prophecies and what God is actually doing. And then we could understand that it isn't about wiping out bad people. It's about removing the wickedness from the world that's mm -hmm. created this unalignment. Yeah. I take a bit different direction. Yeah. Just I was looking through my notes and I know earlier, was man, <laughs> we recorded both these episodes. I forget if we were talking about, I think it was this one, talking about, hey, if history is important to you. Yeah, because you brought it up in this one about the dating of the things, right? Yeah. So when we're looking at the dating of the things, looking at this section kind of going off into the eschatonas you were talking about, like going off to like, hey, here's the end of things and where it's going to end. And we get what's happening within um, 90 and looking at it, it's like it is touching on uh, the Maccabean revolt, right? Were you talking about that a second ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So looking at that Maccabean revolt, and it's interesting because going back to, I want to call him Nickelback now, <laughs> Nicholsburg? <laughs> Nicholsburg, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just to read um, his notes on verses 6 through 19 of 90, he says, According to my chronology, these years characterized by the activity of the final 12 shepherds would be 265 or to, uh, 265, 255 to 181, 171. Says, but the present form of the section recounts, at least in part, events from the wars of Judas Maccabeus, which is 166 to 161, which appear to have been added to an earlier form of the vision before Judas's death in 160. Mm. So it's just like, hey, they thought this was going to be the end, and all of a sudden, this stuff with uh, Judas Maccabeus started happening. They're like, hey, we need to put that in there because that's happening. And again, so there's this revolt that's going on. Again, what was going on with these people? I could see this kind of vision being the same kind of vision that was happening in the book of Revelation, which again, this apocrypha, this revealing of what's going on, this revelation of what's going on, because what was happening right around Revelation as well was just like all the stuff that was going on with the Roman Empire. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at these times where the people are, you know, in these times of revolt, and depending on where you place Revelation, either uh, destruction of Jerusalem just happened in 70, or was yet to happen, depending on the dating. It's around the time when like big stuff was happening for mm -hmm. Jerusalem. And it's just like you can see that these thoughts of um, when you're looking at eschatology and the end times and just the pressures between God's people and the oppression that's coming in and all of these things, I can kind of see um, those similarities between that. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting. Like, this is the end times. This is what's happening. And they go, oh, wait, something else is happening. Let's throw happen, that yeah. in here. Yeah, the, it's kind of lining up. Yeah, the Maccabean Revolt. Yeah. Which I think I heard somewhere that this was probably the most free Israel had ever been during that time. There was no nations over them. They were self-governing and, and everything like that. I, I found it, too. Diodonetian Wars. Mm. I did find it. That was really bothering me for it most really of the episode. It was really close. Yeah, Whatever it was. Whatever you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was close, and yeah. that was the word yeah. that I was thinking. I was like, you're close to something. Yeah. You yeah. know, you're actually close to the real thing. That was pretty close. Not yeah. just a real word, but the, <laughs> the, but the right word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, this was, uh, to me, this was really cool. I wasn't anticipating this much from this. Uh, but the more I got into, like, what Enoch was leading to and what it was actually portraying, it was painting a picture, a really well-done picture of creation, corruption, creation, corruption, uh, and then a people going astray constantly. And this is where it's tricky because like Enoch isn't the Bible, but there's a deep message in here of warning. Mm -hmm. 
and, and but it's using scripture as its reference point. So I guess I'm still safe to say like uh, there there definitely is a warning here of like there is nothing good with going astray. There's nothing good with just going off and doing your own thing or chasing after other gods or chasing after whatever the world has to offer. Um, the safest place to always be is with the Lord of the Sheeps. Yeah, just looking at that Lord of the Sheeps. I want to look at uh, verse 37, kind of ending off this apocalypse. But then I saw that a snow-white cow was born with huge horns. All the beasts mm. of the field and all the birds of the sky feared him and made petition to him all the time. I went on seeing until all their kindred were transformed and became snow-white cows. And the first among them became something. That something became a great beast with huge black horns on its head. The Lord of the sheep rejoiced over it and over all the cows. I myself became satiated in their midst. I woke up and saw everything. All right, and your translations might say, I saw all the deeds of mankind and different stuff within that. But when we're looking at what you were just talking about with like the different animals and how it goes all the way through and just like it become all these different animals and stuff, like the end result of there is that a snow white cow was born. Remember, they were all sheep. Now we're back to a cow. And this cow, all of the animals then get transformed into cows. Mm-hmm. And then there's even a transformation with this cow that it becomes one with big black horns and just like, there's stuff about Jesus who kind of like came in a form and then became another form as mm-hmm. well, and that God was really pleased with what was going on there. Yeah. It's just like, just how we were talking earlier about the Son of Man stuff, and just like so much of this Enoch Son of Man stuff, which is like, oh, crazy parallels. Just like, I don't know how you can read that and be like, okay, you might not want Enoch in your Bible, but that's a really cool way of looking at what was going to happen. Yeah. And I guess you can just look at like, well, yeah, God's eventually going to restore stuff. I'm like, well, that's a pretty cool way of talking about it in animal form. And then he continues on. And I awoke and I blessed the Lord of righteousness and gave him glory. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at all the other stuff that Enoch pulls from, uh, that Lord of righteousness is another reference for the chosen one. And the chosen one was the son of man. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we must be so tired that we, we're going to end the show without talking about like the best part of this animal apocalypse. Which is what? The reference of Jesus. Oh. In it. <laughs> I wasn't. I was yeah. holding on to that oh, one. Oh, okay. I was like, man, I was so tired. I'm like, I'm ready to just go home and go to bed. But like, yeah, there it is. There's Jesus in it all. And like, yeah, like you said, uh, you can't read that without picking up what he's putting down. Which is to take these two visions that we've looked at in this, this fourth book. The first vision has just been like, oh, God, destruction is coming upon the earth. I'm crying out of my sleep that my mm-hmm. grandpa's like, what's going on? He's like, go pray. And his prayer is like, let there be a remnant. And by the end of the second vision, it's like, not only is there a remnant, but there's this full restoration that's going to come from this one that's mm-hmm. coming. And it's just like, that's the story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, there you go. It took us Genesis to Revelation before <laughs> yeah. Revelation was even written. So yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, next, we get into the Epistle of Enoch. Uh, but I would say we probably got two more episodes on Enoch. We'll get through half of that. Bro, you've been saying that <laughs> since the beginning. But there is going to be a conclusion. And what I want... Uh, yeah, I think there will only be like... We can get it done in five. Well, I, no, <laughs> first it was one episode. We can get it done in one episode. Uh, but what, what I really want everyone to know is there's going to be... Uh, whether, depending on how many chapters we cover in the next one, there's going to be a conclusion part where, uh, f- at least for me personally, I want to talk about like Enoch's placement of the Bible 
and where it stands and and why really um maybe it doesn't belong in the bible but it doesn't belong in the category of do not read i'm so done (laughs) (laughs) all right let's wrap it up i'm chris i'm your we are your church friends thanks for listening check the mic and make sure it sound right boys why choose the way up let me tell you with the way up you'll never have to drive by that cursed mountain drive into heavy rainfall drive into the snow drive on streets paved with cobblestone drive by sacrificial altars drive by the gateways to the underworld drive by pagan temples drive by the tombs of the Rephaim with real time and a constantly updated gps the way app will lead you exactly where you need to go and will make sure you get there safely the way app was built to transfigure the way you drive never be led in the wrong direction again choose the way Excluded books of the Bible.